Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hmm? Good morning on October the 6th, 2019, from Coolidge, Arizona. I have a question for you first. It is in relationship to the classes you've been through with Neil. A question, and then we'll move on. Is there any connection? Is there any connection? Is there any connection between ancient prophecies and current events? If you don't have an instant answer to that, then you missed out on Daniel uh, Neil's class and you need to be ashamed of yourself. Now that's up on board. We've got a, long, a lot of traveling today. We're on board, we're flying over the Pacific Ocean, and we land in Athens, Greece. I've landed on that airport 27 times. Each time you're, you land, you are confronted with a row of machine guns. It does tend to make you sober. And I like to think about Athens because in Athens, Paul brought a sermon in Athens that was so powerful that it was the beginning of the end of idolatry in all of Greece. You go over there today and you won't find an idol anywhere. You won't, have, you won't find an island, island or uh, any idols that it lasted in Greece for more than a few years, and then they all phased out, and I think it all comes back to the sermon that Paul preached on Mars Hill. That's the effect of the gospel, and there is had 2,000 years of positive effect. Now, there are other things that are just as wrong, but the reason idolatry is so bad, because it replaces the image that God provided all of mankind with, and that's the human image. And when we try to supplant that with a graven image, then that's why God so hates idolatry. It isn't that they are made of gold or silver. That's nothing wrong or out of wood. But it is a replacement of the image that God has provided for all of mankind to see him through, and that's man. Well, no potatoes. Oh, tomatoes. Don't start throwing tomatoes. 
I want you to think about that. Of course, you won't. You'll forget about it as soon as I said it, probably, if you even heard it. But we want to go now from Athens and fly up to Alexandria, Alexandria, Egypt. You have a map. This, uh, this city was named after whom? Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great. He, he founded it in 332 B.C. About the founding of the Grecian Empire. Alexandria was <coughs> situated on the northern coast of Egypt. West of the Nile. You know what's unique about the river Nile? It has something in common with the Willamette River in Oregon. What is that? It's one of four rivers, the Willamette River in Oregon being number two. The Nile River flows north. There are four major rivers that flow north. Willamette River in Oregon and the Nile River in Egypt. So when you look at the general trend of the Nile River, you're looking, if you're watching the flow, you're looking what direction? The north. And Alexandria, as you see it on your map, up in the northern part of the country of Egypt, was um, very advantageous for commercial pro uh, um, purposes. It was considered the second city of the Roman Empire. Had a population in that time of over half a million. And it was made up of Egyptians, Greeks, Jews, and Romans. It had a famous library of several hundred thousand volumes. It was regarded as one of the greatest intellectual centers of the world. It was here in Alexandria that the Hebrew text, um, the, the Greek, um, Septuagint? of the uh, Hebrew scriptures called the Septuagint were translated into Greek here in Alexandria. Just want to pause there for you to think about that. The Alexandrian Jews had a synagogue in Jerusalem which per, uh, participated in the persecution of Stephen and Apollos who labored at Corinth and he was an Alexandrian Jew and we'll read about him today. That's Alexandria. Out of this city of great, great commerce considered the second city of importance in all of the Roman Empire emerges a man, a Jew, Named what? Apollos. If there was anyone in the scriptures I would like to be like, 
It would be Apollos. I can't be a Paul. I can't be a Peter. But I could be like Apollos. Yeah. I see that. Alexandrian by birth. Now notice some of the factors about this gentleman. Then we'll go back and read the text. He was a learned and eloquent Jew of Alexandrian birth. Look at what he emerged out of. He was a disciple of John the Baptist. Now we're not offering any critique on that right now, just we need to know that as a part of his history. He was a learner, that's what disciple mean, a disciplined learner of John the Baptist, the baptizer. He was a successful preacher at Corinth and throughout all of Acacia. He was involved in the division of the church at Corinth. I want to read those verses in just a moment. I don't like to do a lot of cross-referencing, but these are very helpful in, uh, in, in uh, their given context. Fifthly, he was a friend of Paul, and that's significant. And that's one of the things that lends me, lends to me, the desire to be like Apollos because he had the right friends. Paul was one of his friends, and Paul would be a hard friend to beat. Everyone needs to have someone in the scriptures that they would like to be like in the positive way. Not in ways that would be detrimental, but there, are, there is always someone that we can attach to that becomes a motivation for us to be better at what we are and what we do. And folks, we don't do that. We have 800 people today right here in this room. It only seats 10. That's somewhat of an exaggeration. But my guess is that None of us have really attached to someone. I want to be like Mary. I want to be like Martha. I want to be like the gal in Thyatira, Dorcas, yeah. Lydia, in their way. And we're going to attach to someone who we can identify who having the same gift as we have that we can latch on to and follow and see how they responded to the teachings of Jesus. Apollos is a man that I would like to latch on to. When I was in Alexandria, we traveled up the Nile River from Cairo. We went to Cairo, then we flew. Uh, by the way, we landed in Athens. We came to Cairo already this morning. You just, I missed that landing. Uh, the plane missed it is why I missed it. And, you know, Cairo is where the Finx is and where the, the um, pyramids are. And they have not changed a lot. My, it's been f almost 50 years since I've been there. Um, but, you know... Same with Indiana Jones, Dave. 
Oh, yes. That's about when Indiana Jones was there, too. Is that right? About 50 years ago. About 50 years ago. Yeah, okay. So, uh, we, we bypass the landing, and uh, from, from we, we go from Athens to Cairo, and then from Cairo to Alexandria. But, in, we, uh, but then we take a big boat ride in between. And um, uh, the, the Karnak isn't on this map that you have, but that's the Valley of the Kings, and but when I was in Alexandria, the one thing I wanted to do was get away from the people and investigate uh, that, that city. And it was still a significant city when we were there 50 years ago. But of course, they put the reins on you when you're in Egypt. They don't give you a lot of freedom to move around. Um, some people considered hazardous. You know, it's only hazardous if you're, if you're in the cities in heavy populated areas. The people in the country are the same everywhere you go. If you're in Egypt or Turkey or Israel or United States of America, people are just the same if they're living off the land. They're all kind, they're all hospitable. They all smell the same. Huh? They all smell the same. And they about smell the same, as Alex would say. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, and anyway, so we, we've looked at, uh, we looked at the city of Alexandria briefly. Out of this emerges this man, Apollos. And Apollos was a unique person. Let's go to our text now in verse 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man. Well, anybody qualify? Capable in Scripture. Comes from the word dynamite, mighty. Capable of doing things that are unknowable. I mean, just unbelievable what this guy can unravel. Dynamic. The dynamics of it all. So obviously he was well versed in uh, the prophecy, um, the early writings, and things like that. He says scripture. Some people might think, oh, he knew about the Bible. You know, he knew the, the New Testament too. It wasn't written yet. Well, it wasn't even around yet. Yeah. Yeah. So that's right. He knew the Old Covenant. That's why, well, we have, we'll, we'll get there in just a moment. So here, here's a man who is eloquent, and the word eloquent comes from the word logos, logios, logius, and it means a logical thinker. Knows how to put something together. Knows how to prioritize the thoughts. That's unique. That's kind of special. And he was eloquent in that he could verbalize an idea. An idea has already sorted things out that apples are apples and oranges are oranges and you don't mix them in a discussion. The first law of logic is to do your sorting. Sort things out. Don't get them confused. 
Boy, can I tell you stories on that. Um, but we better not take time. Because we got to be through here while we've got to get through Acts while old Dave is still on his two feet. And, and, and the second law of thermodynamics, uh, the second law then of logic, not to sort, that's always the first thing you do is get things that are agree and put them in the same basket. Don't get them confused. And most, that's why I'm saying that there are no two texts anywhere in the scriptures that are alike. So when you go to an outside scripture somewhere, you got to remember there's something different about that or it wouldn't be there. We forget that. And so we get, we get our thinking conglomerated, obstructed, because we get, we get things combined that ought not be combined. And I've just had almost a two-hour discussion this morning with somebody that just can't get that point straight in his thinking. That is today, maybe tomorrow. So, the second law of thermodynamics is you always have a direction. I mean, if not thermodynamics, the second law of logic is that you always have a plan. You always have a direction. First of all, you sort things out. Then, in the process of discussion, you always have a direction toward where things are leading. So it's premises that build upon premises that end in conclusions. That's the theory of the word logos. If you want to know anything about Jesus, he was the logic of God. He was the sorting out of things for man in behalf of God. He was the one to show the movement and the direction of God to man. That's why he's called the Logos. Now, another thing about this man, he was fervent. He had a spirit filled with fervency. He's talking and describing his spirit. He had a fervent spirit. What is fervent? What does it mean? Anybody? Heated. What? Heated or intense. Oh, heated. Intensified. Intensified. Intense. In his purpose. Fire. A fervent fire. Fire. Some fires burn fervently. They're non-stoppable. Other fires are wimpy. You can blow them out with a breath. This is a fervency. A fire that cannot be blown out. And you might think of other ways of defining this term. But here, this was his spirit. dynamic so he was wimpy no. 
You don't buy that. He spake and taught irresponsibly the things of the Lord. Oh no. This guy knew what he had been taught. He knew it clearly. He had it said in his mind. He had it so said it was expressible to others. He taught diligently, diligently, responsibly the things of the Lord. I want you to think about that. I like Apollos. There's a lot to measure, a lot to be measured up to with this guy. We could all be fervent in our way as Apollos was fervent in his way. We can all be fervent and maybe not as apt at teaching as Apollos, but he was certainly qualified to be an elder because he was apt not to teach. Oh, that isn't how you read that in Timothy? No. No, it isn't apt not to teach his ability to teach. In most cases is apt not to teach. He taught diligently. I mean, he didn't leave any stone unturned. Knowing only the baptism of John. Why? Because that's, as a Jew, that's what he had been taught. He taught diligently what he knew. But it didn't go far enough. But I love this point here that Luke takes in not starting with a negative because he didn't know anything but the baptism of John. He does not state it negatively. And so with all of that in this guy's arsenal, he began to speak boldly. Now there's something else about this guy. He wasn't ashamed to speak in an adverse environment. He didn't keep his audience, he didn't allow his audience to keep him from speaking what they needed to know. And in that case, he was always audience relevant. <clears throat> So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Whom when Aquila and Priscilla. Do you remember these, this husband and wife team? Great team. If you want to use a, if you want to be someone to pattern a relationship with, look at Aquila and Priscilla. How have you identified with Aquila and Priscilla if you have chosen them? What are, what are their unique features? Here, look at what it is here. They heard, they listened, they understood what he was saying. And then they practiced some wisdom. They didn't interrupt him while he was speaking. They didn't take him apart from one end to the other. They took him 
unto themselves and expounded or exegeted. That means brought him more of the details of the way of God. So here he was speaking boldly somewhat in a potentially enemy situation. But he had friends in the audience. You know, it doesn't take many friends to help the one who is speaking stay on track. That's why when Neil's here alone in this classroom, it's tough. I don't care what he says. You need someone here that's compatible with you and that is supportive of you and will learn with you when you have the potential of it being hostile and what you were teaching because people are so ignorant Neil there is a hostility when they're exposed of their hostility I call that a good show that's a good show <laughs> but you need supporters and I, I see Aquila and Priscilla here. Have, they had not quit the synagogue because they were Christians. And they knew there were lots of troubles brewing in the synagogue. But they didn't quit. I love that about Aquila and Priscilla. They stayed put. Now, we all have times when we have to change geographically or emotionally or, you know, whatever else is, health-wise, all, all kinds of different things. But here, none of that enters into the picture. You had two healthy people who knew the situation of what it was and what it's going to take to speak in the synagogue where, there's, where there was a lot of potential enemies. And Aquila and Priscilla stood by, became his supporters, and they listened to him, and they took him unto themselves privately. No open discussion. No open embarrassment. Isn't that neat? I followed this one time with the people who work on my vehicle. Some of you know Old Red. Some of you know Old Red very well. Some of you may know Old Red too well. But Old Red, I had a problem many, many, probably 10, 12 years ago. I had just had all of the hoses replaced on the truck. I mean, radiator hoses, fluid hoses, steering hoses, all those, because you know after 125,000 miles, they deteriorate, right? So why not just have them replaced all at once? Get it out of the way. Don't take a chance on anything breaking on the road. So I had done that. I took it back in a couple of days later to, um, I had a leak or something, I don't remember what it was. And they came back and said, oh, you, 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 need, you need a lot of your hoses replaced. 
how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to? I just had it done two weeks earlier. I mean, everything. Even the seal between the transmission and the engine, which is, I have a problem with that every 50,000 miles or so. So it's no big deal anymore. But anyway, I thought about Aquila and Priscilla. I can remember this, that the first thing they did was they went into a private discussion with the people they had a problem with. So I asked for the manager and the assistant manager. And I said, I, need, I don't want to discuss any of this in front of your customers. I need to talk to you in private. You just tell me when you're ready. So they, got, they cleared the house out, and after a few 44 shots, everybody left. And they took me into the office, and I said, now, here's, here's what I want to tell you, and it won't ever happen again. I want to build loyalty. I said, two weeks ago, I had every hose in that truck replaced. Today, you tell me, I need half of my hoses replaced. Now, something's wrong. I said, now, I don't want any explanation because that doesn't matter. I want that corrected, and I want you to be assured that that will, and I don't need to be assured, I want you to be assured assured that that will never happen again. That you will never ask me to repair something that you have just finished getting done repairing. And I tell you, I've had a perfect relationship with them ever since. That's just about the way it went and just about all the time. It didn't take much time. Nobody got mad. Nobody was hostile. But I was firm that this kind of situation, I said, you know, we all, we, we, mechanical things always go wrong. I don't care what kind of a car you buy, new or used, always something will go wrong. But it's how you deal with it. So here you had Apollos having given his heart out in a synagogue, in a potentially hostile situation but he had a couple of friends at least who had heard him and they did the right thing by him how many times have you done the right thing by somebody to avoid confrontation and get things straightened out and so they they taught him more completely. They expounded unto, unto him the way of God more perfectly that everything did, did not end with John the Baptist. We don't know everything that they told him. But look how positive and dynamic this correction was to this guy who was born in Alexandria and had traveled through his field of education and had, had started the church in Corinth, had been a part of it, and had been, been, been uh, involved in its growth and in the churches possibly in Galatia. 
Just amazing. Just amazing what's going on in the founding with the founding fathers of the Church of Jesus Christ. Folks, it is just amazing that Luke got all of this recorded so that we would have insight to these people, about these people, things and matters about these people that we could learn from and become identified with the positive elements and become more like they are in, were in those, in those elements. And they spoke the word of God to him and developed the way of God more, uh, more fully. They explained some things to him that he had not heard. And now it says that he got mad as a hornet. He turned red. His blood vessels in his neck popped out. And he began to quiver from head to toe. You could see the fire in his eyes. Priscilla and Aquila backed off. What have we done? We have stirred up something in this guy we didn't know was in him. We've made a mistake. Is that what happened? No. Not at all. They expounded the way of God more perfectly. Folks, that means that someone like Apollos, with everything that he had right, can still have some things not right or incomplete. That's why I started with the question that we had this morning right off the bat. Is there any connection between ancient prophecies and current events? Because that question has just been answered by Neil very appropriately. And you have to answer unless you were not listening. Or unless you simply don't care. Your answer has to be what? No. If your answer is other than that, you were not listening or you are not paying attention, which is the same thing as not listening, or you simply are rebellious in heart and you're going to have to pay the price for that when you face God. I hope that's about as supportive of you as I can get. I'll take that. Yeah. Good. <laughs> but we need that. In this case, I, I want to be on the side of Aquila and Priscilla with Neil. See, we, we have to have that. That's the personal, personal connection with you and people. If you don't have that, what you know doesn't mean anything. So, in verse 27, we're going to finish up here real quickly. We and when, when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote. They were in Ephesus. The brethren of Ephesus wrote, exhorting the disciples of where he was going to be cautious and careful because... He had a misunderstanding of Scripture? Oh, no. Oh, no. That's not what they wrote. Not at all. 
They did not write that because, you see, we, we don't know. And we have to be very careful about assumptions because conclusions, I've mentioned this to somebody this the last week or two, uh, that conclusions built on assumptions lead to prejudices. Did you get that? So many discussions of anger, outburst, are based on assumptions. We've drawn conclusions without all of the information in it that we need to have to make the proper response. Conclusions based on assumptions often lead into prejudices or other types of verbal perversions. Got to remember that. So we don't, we don't need to make assumptions. If a statement is made in the scriptures, we just need to know what the statement is and what that statement means in its context. We don't have to assume anything. Now, if we do, we need to tell people we do. But here, I'm going to tell you that I'm assuming, see, that's why I made that statement. I'm assuming that when Aquila and Priscilla got through with him, that he was gracious. So much so, as they had expounded to him the way of God more completely, haven't we all been there? Had the way of God expounded unto us more completely? What if we rejected? Then there would have been something said. But he had no rejection. He wanted to know the way of the Lord. And that, wanted... That's why the, the first things we hear about him here are that he's orderly. He's an orderly person. He thinks in an orderly fashion. Right off the bat. And so, and so that he was approached the right way. Yeah. so that he could pick up on the differences and the inadequacies of where he was to where he ought to be. I think that is the most beautiful picture in the Bible of human relationship. And, and David? Yeah. I think um, as far as Aquila and Priscilla, I'm sure they told him that their understanding had come from the Apostle Paul concerning Christ. Yeah. Me, meaning everything to the uh, to Apollo, so he heard all about these things. Yeah, he believed them. He believed them. Well, I, the I, I, I think uh, uh, what the source was ironclad. David, remember last week when you asked if there was any prophecies about the Gentiles? See, I've been thinking about that ever since. And so look at how look at how Peter, you know, reacted. When he was given that dream about kill and eat, he was resistant. And we admired him for that because he was not easily swayed. Right. He was, you can't be, you can't be a reed. Jesus talks about the reeds and the wind. But if Apollos was as learned as we, as he's described here, he knew 
there was unfinished business in oh, the prophecy. I think so. I think so. And so he might have jumped out of his shoes when he heard what they had to say. He's been waiting to hear it. Yeah. Or waiting to have someone explain it to him. Yep. So true. So ap- very, very um, ap- applicable here. Okay, let me finish up. We'll, we'll finish this chapter. They, so the, the folks in Ephesus got down and they wrote a note, uh, wrote a letter to uh, where he was going. Wanted to go into Acacia. And uh, they wrote, exhorting the brethren and the disciples there, those who were learners, to accept and receive Apollos when he was come. And so he helped them much who had believed through grace. So those who had entered into grace, in grace, abiding in that where grace covers the difference between you and God, because you're in the right place. That's through, see, dear, through the grace. A noun. It's a noun. They have believed through that process. And he mightily convinced the Jews publicly, showing by the scriptures that Buddha was king. Not at all. That Jesus was the Christ. Now folks, when any of you can publicly convince the supposed opposition that Jesus was the Christ, then you'll have my ear. We close. Father, we thank you for this delightful time of Scripture, for these great characters that have so much to offer. May we choose to be like them in their good respects. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.